Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jessie Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 76 of This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about habit change strategies and life improvement with type 1 diabetes. And this episode was suggested by James Daniel on Facebook. So thank you for that suggestion. I have the win this week. I did a relatively fast reorganization of some of my diabetes supplies in my closet. So it just took like 10 minutes to kind of move everything around. And I ended up finding like four other pokers. I swapped out my old pokers with those ones because I didn't have like the lancet replacement for the old ones. It was a kind of a special lancet type that I didn't have. So I swapped those out. And I also cracked open three different bottles of glucose tabs that had not been opened yet. So they were still good. And I put those in different locations to use up in place of Smarties just so I can use them up because I have them. So why not? And then my insurance company also sent me a new meter because they're not covering uh, my current strips next year. So they switched me to the contour meter instead of the Vario. So I got that, put that in my purse. And my pharmacy also sent a note that they are covering my Novolog. So kudos to them, but we'll see how much they make me pay for it. Because right now I pay a set amount for like my Novolog, no matter how much I'm prescribed. And we'll see if that number goes up or not, because they moved the drug into a different tier on the formulary. So more to come on that. Jesse, what is your fail this week? So my fail is basically just poor execution and planning on my part because I took Christmas break a little bit too seriously. <laughs> so this week's fail is that I forgot to put on my sensor. And since Christmas is the day after next, my blood sugars are probably going to go a little bit crazy and it'll be a little bit of a challenge staying on top of it, but I will. So my fail this week is poor planning and poor execution. But the good news is my new pump and my new sensor came in today. So cheers to that. I'm so excited. (laughs) Awesome. So you got the new Medtronic? Yeah. And it uses all the same supplies. Everything is going to be the same. I might even put it on tonight and see how that goes. (laughs) So as we're recording this, this is Christmas Eve Eve. And this episode is actually going live at the end of January. So we're ahead of schedule. Yay. Yes. (laughs) All right. So what's our tip? Okay, our tip. I'm bad at this, but if you want to change your lancet at least twice a year, and that it's probably not as bad as it sounds if you're on a CGM, because honestly, if you're on a CGM, you probably don't test as much as you otherwise would. You can time it to coincide with daylight savings. And that's like, it's in March and it's in November. So it's like, there's six months apart. That's also the time where you should be checking your smoke and your carbon monoxide detectors Uh, changing your clocks back and forth, because if we don't, then we'll all be off time on everything. It's also a good time to check your emergency kits. And then 
you can also use that time to like work on some cleaning projects because that tends to be a popular thing to do. But if you already do things on daylight savings or spring forward, then you can just add changing your lancet to the list. That's the hack this week. All right. So the episode to get into it on habits. Habit is a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that's hard to give up. There are these ingrained neural pathways for routines that we've practiced over and over again until they become unconscious or second nature. Habits are good, bad, or neutral, depending on how the habit affects your life. Neutral habits are just that, neutral. Things like driving the same route to and from work every day, eating the same thing for breakfast, and always taking your coffee a certain way all count as neutral habits. They don't really serve you or not serve you. They just are. A good habit serves you. It makes your life easier, less stressful, and it helps you achieve your goals and your dreams. Daily exercise, eating healthfully, and getting enough sleep are all good habits. Bad habits don't deserve you. They're things you want to stop doing because they disrupt your life or someone else's and make you sicker or sick or fill your life with negative energy. I like how you said that. Bad habits don't deserve you. They really don't. No. (laughs) So habits consist of a cue, a craving, a routine, and a reward. It's actually called a habit loop. So a cue is a trigger, something that sets off the habit. The craving is a desire for something to be different. The routine is the actual habit action that you do. And the reward is the result that you get at the end. A really simple example of this habit loop is a dark room. The cue is the dark room itself. The craving is for light. The routine is to flip the light switch and the reward is the light turning on. It's stupidly simple, but that is a habit. It's important to know yourself and your willingness to change bad habits or habits that don't serve you or modify your good habits into even better habits. If you're not the kind of person who's willing to put in the hard work and the effort to change your habits, especially the bad habits that shackle you to the things you don't like, then you're not going to change your habits. If you don't care that you have bad habits, then this episode probably isn't for you. But if you're the kind of person who wants to become a better version of yourself, understanding the little nuances of your personality will help you tremendously on your journey to habit change. Way back in episode 13, we talked about 20 specific bad diabetes habits, why they're bad, and what to do instead. And here is a recap. Number one, stacking insulin. This is bad because you overdo the insulin. Number two, never changing the lancet. Bad because needle dullness over time and it does increase the pain in your fingers. (laughs) Can confirm. Number three, not rotating sites. It's bad because it causes scar tissue buildup. Number four, forgetting to give insulin. This is bad because going over 140 MGDL is permanently damaging your body. Number five, overriding suggested boluses. This is bad because you're conditioning your distrust in your pump. Number six, thinking that carbs don't count. This is bad because it's basically like forgetting to give insulin. Number seven, always subtracting fiber. This is bad because you may actually have to give insulin for that fiber, and you will find out later when your blood sugar goes up. Number eight, not basal or sensitivity testing. This is bad because you're essentially flying blind on your own ratios. Number nine, not taking supplies with you. This is bad because if you end up needing them, you won't have them. That's kind of bad. 
Number 10, expecting two identical days. This is bad because 42 plus factors affect your blood sugar, not just food, sleeping, and exercise. Number 11, keeping it a secret. It's bad because if something happens to you, no one will know what to do. Number 12, letting diabetes control you. This is bad because you're making yourself a victim of your own diabetes. Number 13, listening to the American Diabetes Association for food guidelines. This is bad because they have consistently failed us for 50 plus years. Number 14, rationing your insulin. This is bad because you could literally die from it. Number 15, not fighting non-medical switching. That just happened to me. It's bad because those changes could adversely affect your care regimen. Number 16, procrastinating sensor calibrations. I'm personally really bad at this one. This is bad because you won't get a good reading on your sensor or you won't get an accurate reading. So it's, I struggle with this one. <laughs> Number 17, overcorrection for a low. This is bad because it starts a high and low roller coaster cycle. Number 18, overcorrecting for a high after a meal. This is bad because you're ignoring your sensor accuracy, onboard insulin, and delayed food impact. Number 19, my favorite, rage bolusing. It's bad because you're giving too much insulin and you're suffering emotionally because of it. And number 20, using lows as justification to eat sugary junk food. This is bad because one, it's not healthy and it teaches you that those treats are okay, and it encourages your lows to be on purpose, and that's not healthy. So these are certainly not the only bad habits you could have as a diabetic. You can have plenty of bad habits in other areas of life that affect your diabetes, even if they're not directly related to your diabetes like these ones are. You could be overweight, eating out of boredom or for comfort. You could be drinking too much, smoking, not exercising. Basically, all the things that people try to change when the new year rolls around. In episode 13, we gave specific things to do instead of those bad habits. The problem is, how do you go about implementing those things without a strategy? And that's what we want to discuss with you today. First off, we need to recognize when it's time to change or break a habit. It all starts with awareness. I like to get awareness by writing down all my thoughts. I slow down, think about what's going on in my life, what results I've created for myself, and the thoughts I have about those things and even the thoughts that got me there. Many times we know we should break a bad habit, but the motivation, the willpower, and the discipline to do it just doesn't exist. It's pretty much seeing yourself in a situation you want to get out of, but then judging yourself for not having gotten out of it yet, and discounting your ability to get out of it in the future. Think about your life. What's going well? What isn't? The things that aren't going well are the clues to finding habits that you should change. Oftentimes, when we work on improving one area of our life, the other areas of our lives become easier to improve on as a byproduct. It honestly doesn't matter what habit or area you choose to work on first, but what matters is that you're making a decision and taking action on it. This month's episodes have all been sponsored by Shape and Foster, a 12-month lifestyle development program slash app focusing on mental health, life coaching, financial planning, fitness, nutrition, and yoga. Since today's episode is about habit change strategies and life improvement for type 1 diabetics, Shape and Foster fits right in as our sponsor. I actually want to take a few minutes to give a review of the program since I've been poking through it for a bit and I like what I see. Overall, 
Shape and Foster packs a lot of value into one program. Callum McGuigan, the founder, did an amazing job pulling together six experts to cover each topic area. If you paid for each expert individually, you'd be spending over $10,000. But with Shape and Foster, you're getting access to all that expertise for a fraction of the cost. So the pros. First off, it's affordable and value-packed. Founding members get a $100 discount if they sign up before February 28th, 2021. After that, annual membership is $399 USD or $42 USD a month. I'd personally go for the annual membership since it's a 20% savings over the monthly. The system is also set up so you can't cherry pick which content you view. You have to watch everything in month one for month two to unlock. And when I say everything, I mean every video from every expert track. I think this is brilliant because it filters out the people who just want to focus on one thing instead of taking advantage of all the resources that are available. It's basically a lifestyle development social network. You can message members, comment on and like posts, and share content that's relevant to each of the six areas. Both the website and the app are easy to navigate. They're based on the Mighty Networks platform. So if you're a member of other Mighty Network apps like Beyond Type 1, the navigation and the layout are pretty similar. And there's also a merch store to buy branded content. Shape and Foster doesn't make a profit on this, so it's all at cost. They just want you to be able to rep the brand. And there are a few cons that I'll cover. Right now, it's only set up for one year of content. After the flagship year, which is this year, 2021, it's unclear if the program will reset to the beginning or if they'll curate new content. I actually think curating new content would be awesome because then the longer you're in the program, the more advanced material you get access to. That would kind of be like self-coaching scholars, which unlocks new bonuses when you hit six months or when you hit one year in the program. As a brand new program, Shape and Foster will be working out the kinks for the first couple months. There's nothing wrong with that, but some people do prefer a polished or an established product. Not everyone is an early adopter. And the last thing I'll mention is that the nutrition track isn't necessarily type 1 diabetes friendly. The expert does emphasize healthy options overall and some other healthy options that don't involve food, but some of the recipes she provides aren't really low carb right out of the gate. But I am sure with some tweaking, you could make them low carb. That's what my husband does. My final verdict on Shape and Foster is that if you're someone looking for a no-brainer one-stop shop to work on your mind, your money, and your body all at the same time, this is it. I'm excited for where this program is going, and I'm glad to be part of the founding community. And I'd love to see you on the inside. Visit inspiredforward.com slash shape and foster to sign up for your free 14-day trial. You can find this link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the episode. Here's some strategies to use to change your habits and improve on your life. And these come from a variety of sources, particularly Charles Duhigg, James Clear, and Gretchen Rubin. Replace a bad habit with a good habit by changing the routine and the reward when you experience a cue. You can also pick one or more of the strategies that James Clear defines. Make it obvious or invisible. Make it attractive or unattractive. Make it easy or difficult. And make it satisfying or unsatisfying. James encourages his readers to think about each habit and how it makes you feel. Is it satisfying to continue with the bad habit? How can you make it unsatisfying? Does this habit represent who you want to be? That's a way of making it unsatisfying. If it doesn't represent who you are, why should you continue to do it? When, when I was in college, I had a bad habit of leaving for the campus with a low reservoir. Great idea. 
this meant I would get to class and then realize that I didn't have enough insulin for the day. So I'd have to race back between classes or something to put on a new site. And I solved this by using the cue of my low reservoir alarm to set out a piece of cardboard with the words change set on it in all caps. Put that on my desk so I'd see it the next morning if I chose to go to sleep with a low reservoir. And that actually solved the problem. I still use those cardboard pieces today because I kind of double as uh, drying mechanisms for alcohol swabs. So that's an example of combining the cue and the routine with making it obvious. Gretchen Rubin talks about 21 strategies of habit change in her book, Better Than Before, and we're going to share them here. Number one is know your tendencies, uphold, oblige your questioner or rebel. And I am an upholder on this list, but a quick kind of explanation of these is an upholder easily meets both inner and outer expectations. An obliger easily meets outer, but not inner. A questioner will meet inner, but not outer. And a rebel won't meet either. Number two, recognize your distinctions. Are you a marathoner or a sprinter? An underbuyer or an overbuyer? Finisher or an opener? Are you a novelty lover or a familiarity lover? There are a bunch of different things that you can kind of use to define yourself or label yourself if you like labels. But when you recognize those distinctions, it makes it a lot easier to figure out how to use that to your advantage when changing habits. Three, monitoring. You manage what you monitor. So find a way to monitor whatever matters to you. Number four is foundation. First things first. So begin by making sure to get enough sleep, eat and drink right, move and declutter. Five is scheduling. If it's on the calendar, it happens. That is how I run my life. Number six is accountability. You do better when you know someone's watching, even if you're the one doing the watching. Number seven is first steps. It's even easy enough to begin. If you're ready to begin, do it now. I like calling that like the five second or the five minute thing. So if you just spend like five minutes freaking out about it or five seconds freaking out about it, then you can spend five minutes doing it and then you end up kind of continuing on anyway. Number eight is clean slate. Temporary becomes permanent, so start the way you want to continue. And this is most easily recognizable when you like have a big life change. So if you move to a new city or like Jesse's going to start college next year, that is basically a clean slate. So that is the perfect opportunity to start building some new habits that you want to take with you the rest of your life. That's what I'm planning on. <laughs> okay, number nine is lightning bolt. A single idea can change the habits of a lifetime, literally overnight. Enormously powerful, but it's hard to invoke on command. Number 10 is abstaining. For some of us, moderation is too tough. It's easier to give up something altogether. This works very well for some people and not at all for others. Number 11 is convenience. Make it easy to do right and hard to do wrong. And that ties in with James Clear, make it easy or make it difficult. Number 12 is inconvenience. Change your surroundings, not yourself. Number 13 is safeguards. Plan to fail. That's actually really powerful. When you plan to fail, then you don't freak out when you actually do fail or think something has gone wrong because you planned on it. Number 14 is loophole spotting. Don't kid yourself. We, we build all sorts of loopholes into things. And yeah, it's kind of uh, fun to, to pick out loopholes. And Gretchen Rubin actually collects them. So you can go look those up if you'd like. Number 15 is distraction. Wait 15 minutes. And that's the same time you should wait for your blood sugars to come back up when they're, you're low. So just keep that in mind. That's actually a really good point. None of us ever really do that. But um, that also works for when you feel hungry. 
but it's emotional hunger. If you wait 15 minutes, it actually might go away because you end up distracting yourself with something else. Number 16 is reward. The reward for a good habit is the good habit. And that's the reward to give yourself. This is the most misunderstood strategy because it's doing the habit for the sake of doing the habit, not for the thing you get out of doing it. Treats. It's easier to ask for more of yourself when you're giving more to yourself. Number 18 is pairing. Only do X when you're doing Y. This is simple, but surprisingly effective. On Gretchen Rubin's podcast, one of the things that they talked about a lot is that her sister would pair walking on the treadmill with watching her favorite TV show. So I think it was like one of the Housewives series. She would only watch that when she was on the treadmill. So that's a really good way to pair things. I kind of love that. (laughs) And number 19 is clarity. The clearer you are about what you want, the more likely you are to stick to your habits. Number 20 is identity. Your habits reflect your identity. So if you struggle to change a particular habit, rethink your identity. And 21, other people. Your habits rub off onto those around you and their habits rub off onto you. Much like the saying of, if your friends jumped off the bridge, would you do it too? (laughs) Or you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. That's another way of saying it. I also had some of my own habit change strategies to share with you guys. And the first one is appealing to your future self. This is a really good method for obligers. That's when you easily meet outer expectations, but find it hard to meet inner expectations. Your future self is a form of outer accountability. You're not doing something for current you. You're doing it for future you, the person who benefits most from any bad habit you break or good habit that you build. I use this method a lot, even though I'm an upholder. I find it useful to imagine my future self basically reaping the benefits of changes that I made when I was younger, which is current me. If future me is healthy, fit, and regularly exercises, then current me has to build those habits that create that future for myself. A good way of uh, thinking about this is how would future me act in this particular circumstance? So if I already had the goal I want, how would she act right now where I am today? And if future me is successful in whatever ways that I define now, it's up to current me to take the steps necessary to actually be successful. So it's all on me, even though I want it to be all on her or I want it already be, to be done for her, but then I have to put the work in. Which makes sense. That's, that's really cool. Okay. So another one from Colleen is considering them experiments. It's also useful to think about the habits you're making or breaking as experiments. If it doesn't work out, no harm. You just learn what doesn't work and you can move on to the next experiment. The next one is taking baby steps. Again, don't try too much at once. Build off successes by starting small and progressively moving through the habits that you want to build, break, or change. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. The smaller the habit, the easier it is to stick with and continue building from. And then the last one is practicing self-forgiveness. When you miss a day, because it will happen, don't beat yourself up. Take a deep breath and remember that missing one day doesn't make you a failure. And this counts not just for diabetes, but every goal you set in life. It doesn't mean you're not cut out for it. It just means you're human, like everyone else, and tomorrow you'll try again. Learning self-forgiveness is probably the hardest part about building and breaking a habit. When we see each failure, we keep the habit as a failure of character or will in ourselves. We're not doing ourselves any favors. Taking emotional attachment out of the habit equation helps us keep our focus on what truly matters. We're becoming the kind of people who keep going, 
even if we stumble every now and then. So take some time to think about how changing some of those bad habits will impact your diabetes. Maybe you'll have better blood sugars. Maybe you'll have a really good A1C next time. That would be fun. Maybe you won't go as high as much or you won't have a really bad crash. If you give too much insulin, you might level out before that happens. Because diabetes is just a bunch of decisions throughout the day on top of everything else that we already deal with, the small improvements we make in other areas of our lives can end up making it a lot easier to manage our diabetes. The spotlight this week is on Gretchen Rubin. She's not type 1 diabetic, but her sister, Elizabeth Kraft, is. And they have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen wrote the book Better Than Before, in which she shares 21 strategies for habit change, which we referenced in today's episode. Other books by Gretchen Rubin include Outer Order, Inner Calm, and that's a book about decluttering your physical space to help calm your mind. Four Tendencies, which is a book about identifying how you respond to inner and outer expectations and the strengths and weaknesses of each. The Happiness Project, a book about actively working on projects each month to increase her level of happiness. And Happier at Home, a book that delved deeper into specific areas of happiness when at home and in the home mindset. So you can check out Gretchen's work by following the links in the show notes. We also have a review shout out today. Miriam Marie 92 on Apple Podcasts wrote, great podcast. I have had type 1 diabetes for 14 years now. It's great to hear other diabetics share resources, advice, good experiences, and bad. I do not personally know any other type 1 diabetics, and it's so great to hear others share their stories and experiences through this podcast. It makes me realize I am not alone. If you or someone you know has type 1, this is a great podcast to listen to weekly. Thanks for the podcast and all the great ideas, advice, and resources shared. Thank you, Miriam, for that awesome review. And now, Jesse, what is our question for the audience? All right. Our question for you guys is, what is your go-to habit-changing strategies for your diabetes? When you realize you want to change something, what is something that you do? Leave us a comment or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you guys. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 76. That's the number 76. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please fill out the form on our podcast page at thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I have a free Facebook group where I coach people for free in the comments, and I go live on most Saturdays. You can join Life and Mindset Coaching by visiting the link in the show notes. It's hard to do things on your own and feel like you're successful at doing them. I have that problem too. Now, if you want help losing weight, reducing stress, and improving your relationships, even working on your diabetes control, book a free consult with me at inspiredforward.com slash book. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward. You can find me on DMP, which is diabetes management platform as at Colleen Mitchell with a space. And our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out through Instagram, please make sure you mention you're a listener of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week when we have our first panel style interview episode. We'll be chatting with the CEO and chief marketing officer of the DMP app, diabetes management platform. And this is a conversation I'm really looking forward to. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey. 
If you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.